Uh, good morning. This past Wednesday, it was a pleasure to worship with, uh, with many of you uh, for our Ash Wednesday services. Uh, we had about, I think it was like 80 people that showed up between the, the afternoon time and the evening time. So thank you to many of you who came um, and, and our teens joined us. So that was like, that was a quarter of you at least. Uh, but uh, it's just good to, to have these moments of worship um, throughout the church year that are very meaningful. Um, today, the lectionary focuses our attention on the wilderness temptation of Jesus. There are three years in the lectionary cycle, A, year A, year B, year C, um, and each time, the fir- each time through the lectionary cycle, the first Sunday in Lent, Ash Wednesday kicks off the season of Lent, which leads us up to Easter, um, but each time we have the first Sunday uh, of Lent, uh, we're led to Jesus' wilderness temptations. Uh, the year A, it goes to Matthew. Year B goes to Mark. And the year C goes to Luke. Because we're in year A this year, we're going to be turning to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 4. If you want to turn in your Bibles there or point your devices um, to that section of Scripture. Um, and for those who are able, I'm going to... I'm going to invite you to stand with me out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Today, I'll be reading Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, reading from the Common English Bible. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It's written, People people won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down, for it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus replied, Again, it's written, Don't test the Lord your God. Then the devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I'll give you all these if you bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, go away, Satan, because it's written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil left him and angels came and took care of him. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So the church year has taken us through the season of Epiphany. Uh, Do you know what the the theme of Epiphany is? What's an Epiphany? Have you ever had an Epiphany about something? Like... Oh, aha, you know, right? It's, it's, it's a discovery. It's an aha moment. Now I get it, right? I often get those, and then I forget those, and then I need to get those again. Um, but, but for Christians, for followers of Jesus, our journey through Epiphany is, is all about the discoveries of and about Jesus Christ, what he wants, what he likes, how he teaches 
all building up to transfiguration. So that was, that was, that's really the theme as we go through Epiphany. That time between Christmas and Lent is, is all about the discovery of Jesus Christ, all building up to Transfiguration Sunday last week. This is the ultimate revelation. This, behold Jesus, regard his face. We're all built up. We're, it's, it's like, here is Jesus in his glory it's like glowing Jesus, right? Radioactive Jesus. Uh, it's clear why we need Ash Wednesday. Those are connected. The Transfiguration Sunday, the glory of that moment, Jesus coming down from the mountain or, or taking James, John, Peter, James, and John up the mountain and, and discovering he is who he says he is. Uh, you know, it, I can just see the, the disciples like Peter, James, and John come on. You won't believe this. Jesus, this is amazing, right? It's like entering a, the tag team wrestling match, right? Or entering the, the Roman Colosseum with our champion. Here's our glowing Jesus. He's going to take over the world. Here's our Messiah. He's come. I can just see it. Crowd going wild. <laughs> He's Messiah, King of the world. We needed Ash Wednesday. We needed the reminder. We are dust. And to dust we will return. Do you remember last week? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say to Peter, James, and John? Tell no one. Tell no one what's happened here. Don't tell anyone what you've seen. It's not about hype. It's not about glowing Jesus. And instead of dancing into the ring with our hype crew on Ash Wednesday, we, mark, we wear the mark of grief and death upon our foreheads for a day, remembering and acknowledging and confessing our mortality and the way we always tend to mix up what the kingdom <laughs> is really all about. And so it's appropriate, it's super appropriate that the lectionary takes us to the wilderness, to the desert, and where does it start? It starts with 40 days. Now, now for f the, the number 40 should ring a bell or two. Hopefully, the, the, the number 40 rings, rings some bells. 40 days is a, is a significant number. This is going to, to ring the bells of memory, especially for his audience. Do you remember who the, the, the Gospel of Matthew is written for? The Jews. Yes. Matthew's written for the Jews. In Scripture, 40 is, is, is a very significant number. Um, Scott Daniels puts it this way. In Scripture, 40 is a number that represents an extended period of time that is long enough and challenging enough that it brings transformation. <laughs> it's not mine, so it's good. So I'm going to say it again. In Scripture, 40 is a number that represents an extended period of time that is long enough and challenging enough that it brings transformation. Back in the days of Noah, the rain fell for 40 days, transforming the face of the earth and ushering in a new day for Noah and his family to worship Yahweh. Moses climbed a mountain, and for 40 days he met with God. And what was he given? The Ten Commandments. Elijah fled to Mount Horeb in 1 Kings 19, sustained by his preparatory meal, where he encountered God in a transformational way. But he had fasted. He went with no food for 40 days, 40 nights. 
most significant is the event that became etched into the narrative of the Israelite people for 40 years. What did they do? Wandered the desert, being transformed, being prepared for the promised land. God had set them free. God had been faithful. We're better. They, they, were, they were free and on the, on the desert plains, headed to the promised land. And what did they start saying? <laughs> we were better off in Egypt. At least we were fed. And a whole generation spent their lives in the wilderness because God had to transform them. They hadn't gotten it yet. They had to undo what had been done to them. God had to make them new. And 40 was the number. So here, here we see this, this number surface, 40, and it's, it's attached to the life and to the ministry of Jesus. This is not accidental. This is intentional. Jesus, like his Jewish predecessors, had done fasts for 40 days. I was thinking about the 30-hour famine, and maybe next year it needs to be the 40-hour famine just because it, <laughs> I was like, ah. All the sponsors are like, Nope, 30 was enough. Somebody's asking me if I was part of the 30-hour famine. I'm like, no, I'm no longer a youth pastor. I don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to do that anymore. I guess I just want us to sit there for a moment for 40 days and 40 nights. Put yourself in that place. I'm, I, I, get, I get headaches after six hours with no food, Right? I wake up and I know that it's time for breakfast. When I feel like I should only, I, there's days I feel like I should probably only drink water and, and the caffeine headache starts to come, you know? Jesus is hurting. Jesus is depleted in this story. And it is squarely within this depleted state that Jesus is tempted by the enemy, by the tempter. And that's where we pick up this story. And the tempter starts with these words. In the Common English Bible, it says, Since you are the Son of God. Some of you have different translations that you might be looking at. Um, and, and some of you might see a different word at the beginning of that sentence. Is there anybody that has a different word at the beginning of that sentence? If. 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 If is actually a, a more literal translation of that Greek word. But in the Greek language... Uh, I had this explained to me. Again, I'm not a Greek scholar. But, but in the Greek language, there's a, there's a capacity to state your expectation as you state the word if. So the author of Matthew, in quoting the tempter, is revealing that there is a, the, the, the person speaking that word expects that it is true. And so the common English Bible translates that word since. Since you are the Son of God. Do you remember what just happened in the, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew? Some of you have already flipped back because I lost your attention there for 30 seconds when I was talking about something. And, and, you, and you went back. What happened right before this? Baptism of Jesus. What happened at the end of the baptism? Comes out of the water and a voice from above says, This is my Son. With him... I am well pleased. See how these are all connected. And immediately the Spirit takes him out into the desert. And the, and the tempter says, Well, since you are the Son of God. You know, 
it's been my experience that the, the adversary comes after, comes after me, generally in one of two ways. The first way is to cast doubt. You didn't really hear that. Not really. She didn't mean it. Does this only happen to me? Maybe this only happens to me. I don't know. You hear, you hear this affirming word. Someone speaks life into your life and grace into your life, and you walk away, and the adversary pops into your head. He didn't mean that. They were just being nice. They were just saying that. That's, 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 that's the tempter's technique of doubt it, right? The, the, the tempter doesn't go there with Jesus. He, he went with route two. Route two is this, prove it. Prove it, Jesus. Since, since you are the son of God, he concedes the fact. He proceeds to, to tempt Jesus. Hey, at, at his lowest and at his most depleted moment, he tempts Jesus. And he tempts Jesus to define his ministry with some really amazing things, some really good things. There are things that, that kind of look good on the outside, but they run totally contradictory to the kingdom of God. Well, the first, the first temptation, what, what, is, what does the tempter tempt with? The first temptation is to define the kingdom of God and his ministry upon earth in terms of, in terms of our stomachs. <laughs> in terms of our stomachs. This is the very thing, very first thing Jesus does after baptism. We just talked about that. Baptism is the very first thing mentioned after all those Christmas texts and Epiphany texts. Okay? Here, here's, here's Matthew up to this point in, in, in brief. Okay? Matthew starts with the lineage of Jesus. How did we get from David to Jesus. Angels talk to teenage mom and fiance. Magi come from the east. Jesus is born. They run away to Egypt. They come back from Egypt. Talk about cousin John the Baptist, baptism, and boom, we're right here in temptation. He's done nothing. So far in Jesus's ministry, he's done nothing but come out to John the Baptist and be baptized. This narrative is, helped, is set to help this Jewish audience begin to understand what the ministry of Jesus is going to be about and what it's not going to be about. And Jesus makes some very bold statements here as, the, as Satan tempts him. The first temptation is about the stomach. Now, add in the fact that he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, um, and this had to be even more enticing. Oh, but I wish Jesus could make this come true. Would this be a good thing? Rocks turned into bread. I think it would. People would be fed. No more people starving. Do you remember, do you remember the tragic ads that used to come up on te- television trying to get you to donate uh, with, with half-dressed orphans needing food? If stones could be turned to bread, we wouldn't need the 30-hour famine to send food to kids in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Stones becoming bread. Think of all the people that it would help. Do you think this went through Jesus' mind? Do you think this was really a temptation? I read one author this week that talked about how one of the suspected signs of Messiah, one of the things that had been taught by the rabbis, was that Messiah was going to reinstitute manna. 
stones to bread, due to bread, that, that no one would go hungry, that this would be the new age, that people's needs would be met. We have a lot of needs in Elmore County. And Jesus was given the offer, set people free. Meet them at their point of need. No one would go hungry. Henry Nowen says this was the temptation to be relevant, to be what people needed, to define the kingdom of God around our stomachs. And Jesus said, no, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. The second temptation of Jesus is to define the kingdom and to, to shape his ministry around that which is spectacular. <laughs> throw yourself, Jesus. Since you are the Son of God, since you're the Son of God, throw yourself from the highest point of the temple. Do a, do a little swan dive in front of everybody. Belly flop off the temple and see how the angels will respond. You're the Son of God. Even the Old Testament scripture talks about how the angels will respond. They'll tend to you. They'll, they'll rescue you. You'll be okay. Certainly much of what Jesus was about to do in ministry was going to be outrageous, was going to be remarkable. The lame would walk. The blind person's sight would be restored. The ill would be healed. The dead would be raised. Again, this could be a good thing, Jesus. I just want you to just pause for just a moment, Jesus. The, the, the church is kind of headed this way at times. I'm sorry to say. The church is, uh, you know, ce celebrity ministry has taken place from time to time. I think of TV. <laughs> I think of TV. Uh, Well-known well personalities, faith healings that get a lot of publicity the world is too small these days, sometimes, I think. We know too much. Everything at our fingertips. Everything's just one Google search away from us finding out. And again, now in frames this temptation as the temptation to be spectacular. Jesus opts for a different route for this ministry, rejecting the wow ministry and embracing transformation. Kind of a side note, this is, this is why often in the Gospels you see God healing their spiritual brokenness even sometimes before their physical brokenness. Someone comes to be healed of God. Jesus is more interested in healing the spiritual brokenness. And then sometimes, many times, fixes the physical brokenness as well. The interesting thing is that we all have that spiritual brokenness. We all have that need. It's just a lot easier to hide. But that spiritual healing is available and needed by all. In the third, the final temptation, it was really at the heart of the matter, the tempter offers power and control and influence over the world in which we live. This is the outcome that we want. This is, this is the outcome to which Christendom has striven for centuries and centuries. 
Back in, back in the year 312, Constantine would conquer his enemies under a banner of a cross. And the story is told that in his vision the night before, he was, he was shown a cross, a fiery cross in the sky. And, and God's voice came and told him, in this sign, you will conquer. Under this banner, you will conquer. He, he, there's no question he won the battle, and that, that led him to the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, but there's great debate about his motivations for why he did that. You know, when your whole empire is abuzz about this new way, this new faith, this, the Christian God, it's awful convenient to see a sign of the cross in the sky and to convert and then convert your empire. Of greater importance in this story is that this is not who Jesus was. This is not how Jesus led. This is not the hallmark of the kingdom of which he was going to bring about. And this is not what his ministry would be marked by. Jesus was not the conquering, liberating Messiah. That was what everyone expected. That's what people were anticipating. And nobody not even his closest friends, caught that fully until he died. He was the suffering servant Messiah. He was the kenotic Messiah, kenosis, the, the pouring oneself out for the other person, the emptying of himself. Listen to these scriptures. Philippians 2 says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider himself being equal with God or consider that something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and becoming like humans. Later, Matthew 20, he would say these words, The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. Sometimes we convince ourselves that life would be easier if, if Jesus were just in charge of this whole world. Wouldn't that be easier? People could just behave. We could just have it like we wanted. And suffering and pain could be no more. And it sounds all good. It all sounds really good. We could do so much good with abundant bread. We could do so much good with a little publicity, a little spectacular, little popularity. And if we had that measure of control, what would that look like? Oh, but what do I hear but the words of the adversary back in the garden? You surely won't die. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You'll be in control, finally. People's needs will be taken care of. It'll be great. It's not that big a deal. Go ahead. Think of, think of the good that we could do. Think of the heads that will turn. Think of all the influence you would have with a little control. You surely won't die. But Jesus knew. Surely we would die. Yielding, succumbing to the pressures of these temptations would be fatal, not because there's anything inherently improper about people being fed, about people taking notice, about any of these things but it would be fatal because the way of the kingdom of God runs counter to each and every motivation for what Jesus was tempted to do. 
And at times, the church has fallen for these temptations. And at times, so have I. I've talked quite a bit about Henry Nouwen, and, and a lot of these thoughts come from this little tiny book called In the Name of Jesus. Um, in, in that book, he offers three practices, three specific practices, in fact, to counteract these three temptations. I don't have time today to really dive into those and really cover those, uh, but the book, get the book. It's brilliant. It's $9 on Amazon, seven and a quarter if you have a Kindle um, and want to download it, or if you just want to borrow it from me, I'll give it to you. I'd love to loan it to you. But, but what I do have time to do today is offer for you two suggestions to counteract these temptations that I believe remain ever-present in our lives for us as a church body, but also us as Christ followers. The first is plainly evident. How did Jesus respond to these temptations? With the word. With the word. Be washed in the word, church. Be washed in the word. Let scripture marinate in your mind and shape your responses in life. So often my responses have so little to do with the words of scripture. Not that I'm quoting scripture every time I respond, and yet has has scripture shaped me? Have I allowed it to shape me? Have I asked God to shape me with the words of scripture? 40 days into being really hangry, (laughs) Jesus is quoting the Old Testament when the devil says, turn these stones into bread. And it's not just simple understanding, right? It's just not, you know, learn one verse. But let Scripture shape you, understanding the intent of the Word of God. Dig deep into all of Scripture. The The second suggestion that I have, so that's suggestion number one, marinate in the Word. Second suggestion is this. Work, yourself, work to align yourself to the picture of the kingdom that Jesus paints through this passage. A kingdom not obsessed with our stomachs. A kingdom not wowed by the impressive, needing the, the magical, needing the show. A kingdom that is not driven to control and coerce and manipulate. Instead, one that has comes to serve and to give our lives away. The life Jesus modeled was one of kenosis, a self-emptying, suffering servant. And the amazing thing was that he, in doing that, was God. The one who had the power and perhaps the right to live that way. The praise team is going to come back. We're going to close by singing singing, uh, these lyrics. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This holy God who came with power and strength and honor and wisdom and wonder knew. Church, he knew it was all a lie. He could have compromised but he knew it was all a lie. And as tempting as it would have been to resolve to say, uh, as tempting as accepting those temptations would have been, he resolved to say, I will not allow my ministry, I will not give this picture of the kingdom. I will not align myself with things so counter, so opposite of what the kingdom of God looks like. May you, may I, 
make a similar choice as we journey to the cross through this 40-day season of Lent. Let us pray, and we'll sing. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for scripture and how it, it paints a picture for us of what you're all about and how you want us to live. Would you teach us this day again to chase after you, to follow after you in all that we are? And may we align ourselves with the ways of the kingdom of God as you showed us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I invite you to extend open hands and receive this benediction adapted from the book of Jude. May the one who is able to protect you from falling and able to present you blameless and rejoicing before his glorious presence go with you now. And may we model our lives after Jesus Christ, our Messiah and Lord. Amen. Go in the love of Christ.